It is good to be in this brand new room, facility here, and talking through the book of 1 John. Amazing, amazing book of the Bible. So 1 John chapter 2, that's where we're headed. There's some notes back there in the back. If you missed them on the way in, you can fill them out as we go. All right, well, how many of you have heard something like this? Uh, it makes no difference what you believe, as long as you're sincere. Or um, I have my truth, you have your truth. Uh, cultural relativism. Truth, you know, is relative. There are no moral absolutes. I still remember the, uh, about probably 10 years ago or so, being at a UOP graduation, and we witnessed a prayer by the chaplain there at, at UOP. It was an all-faith prayer. And she had, sh this lady had a, the chaplain had a big uh, sash on with all the emblems from all the different religions on it. And she said, you know, to, to God, to Allah, to, and she kind of named all these different, uh, whatever we call you. And that's how she began the prayer, and she prayed that way. Pluralism. Pluralism uh, used to be very common. It still is. But, you know, honestly, as I was starting to think about this, I realized I'm not even hearing m that as much anymore. Now it seems to me that we've moved past that. Nowadays, we're no longer able to believe what we want to believe. We have to believe what they say we have to believe. And if we don't believe what they say we have to believe, we're going to suffer some serious consequences. It's like there's been a shift in my, my estimation. The popular belief, I think, of today and what's the tide that's coming is a new branding of socialism. Some Christian authors and speakers are using the term cultural Marxism. And it seems very fitting to me because, uh, you know, we've, I mean, uh, my wife and I, and I'm sure many of you have as well, we've seen personally quotes from Karl Marx openly celebrated on social media by some people we even know. And I can't even fathom that, that we're going to display somebody that, that stood for the disintegration of the family, uh, and among many, many, many other things, the, uh, the wiping out of religion. But that's the world for you. They're going to keep going. They're going to keep going in that direction, and one thing's going to be popular for a while, and then we're going to move to the next thing, and there could be some serious consequences for believers along the way. But what I want to talk about right now is that something I'm concerned about, and that is the influence of that philosophy or those philosophies in churches and in Christian lives. I mean, already, just during this past year, during COVID, some of the most influential churches have handed over the keys of their church to the government. And some have e recently even made some very unbiblical decisions to appease the culture. You know, um, these are some of the most influential churches in, in America. And that's a slippery slope. We're in danger, I think, of allowing the culture and the government and whoever to redefine what we ought to do and redefine truth. What I'm concerned about and what you see, I think we all would probably agree, and that is that the, the words of God, 
the words of God have become weightless in the lives of many Christians. This, it's, uh, God is no longer on the throne. Uh, his truth is not being taught and believed. If we're going to live in the light, and that's what 1 John is all about, if we're going to live in the light, as we've already been talking about, we need to be confessing sin before the Lord. 1 John chapter 1. We, we need to be doing that. We need to be obedient to God's commands. 1 John chapter 2. We need to love each other. 1 John chapter 2. He's, he's already been talking about this, that in this letter to these believers, his church that he pastored and other churches. And we need to love not the world. So we talked about two weeks ago, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. But now John's going to show us that we also need, if we're going to live in the light, if we're going to be the kind of Christians God wants us to be, we need to have a strong and healthy commitment to truth. A very strong, a very healthy commitment to what is true. So here it is, Grandpa John, the Apostle John. He's going to have some real talk with his spiritual children here. We're going to see the best defense against error. And that's what I want to end with here in a little bit, the best defense against error coming into our lives. All right, 1 John chapter 2, and let's look at verse 18. 1 John 2, 18. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. So he says little children. Remember, that's a common term he's been using. It's an endearing term for these believers, young and old, but maybe these believers that were young in the faith and just coming up. I mean, this, these, these are the early days of the church. And, and so little children, Grandpa John's talking. He's in his 90s probably, and he's, he's giving them wisdom. And here is this warning, by the way, even just in saying that, just real quick, he, as he says, little children, sometimes we believers can be like little children in our discernment. And we have to be very careful. We need people like John and others who will help us see some things clearly. So here's what we need to remember, John says. We're living in the last time. And we know that because there are a bunch of little antichrists running around. John explains that you've heard of the Antichrist, a, a term, by the way, that only he used, Antichrist. But it was common knowledge then, and it's common knowledge now that there's going to be this figure, this supernatural figure that will come at the end of time, and he's going to lead this final rebellion against Jesus Christ in the last days. And Jesus will be victorious. But until then, there are all kinds of people that are going to come, John's saying, in the spirit of Antichrist. Now, that's in 1 John chapter 4. He mentions that in just a little while. But Antichrist, the word itself, simply means against Christ or even instead of Christ. Now, real quick, John actually uses the term Antichrist in several places to describe three things, okay? Number one, a spirit in the world that denies Jesus. Number two, false teachers who come in and embody that spirit of Antichrist. And then number three, this final person that will head up the final rebellion. So there's three different ways to use that. And so here in verse 18, John is speaking about these people who are coming into the church, who are going around talking about things. And at first, everything seems good with them. Everything seems fine. 
But eventually their true colors begin to show. He said those antichrists are there and they're teaching and they're saying things. These people are against Christ and you're soon going to see that. And they're against what Christ is all about. And as John mentions, that is a sign that you're living in the last time. And by the way, that's something John learned from Jesus. Jesus said there's, gonna, there's coming a day when there will be false prophets running around deceiving people. Here's the verse, one of the verses, Matthew 24, 11. Jesus said about the end times, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Many false prophets and many deceive. I don't know about you, but that's exactly what I see today. Lots of both. <laughs> the false prophets, they're coming in in all imaginable size and shape and, and just everything you can imagine. In fact, if you, you, if you can go online with any opinion that you have, and we're supposed to accept that opinion as valid. And some people say all opin everyone's opinion matters. No, it doesn't actually. All people matter, but not all opinions matter. And since God, and, and by the way, he says we're living in the last time here. And no one knows how long the last time will last. But it sure seems like we're living, I don't know about you, it sure seems like we're living in the last minute of the last days. And since God never told anyone when Jesus would return, his obvious plan then is for believers to have in every generation, no matter how long it takes, to have this expectancy that Jesus is about to come. These are the, this is the last time. You see these antichrists, you see all these people running around saying these things and saying whatever they want. You know it is the last time. So John calls out these antichrists. Now these are people, he's referring to people that had been in the church and had deceived, and we're going to see that in just a moment, deceived Christians. And they're running around opposing clear doctrinal truth. So now John's going to get a little more personal about some of those false teachers that were in the church and spreading their Gnostic twist on the Bible. And you can actually see now a progression of John exposing them a little bit more and more in this passage. So here's the first thing. He says, here's the first sign of the Antichrist, and we're going to see that in the next verse. The first sign of an Antichrist or a false teacher is that they depart from the faith. They depart from the faith. Here's what he means. Verse 19. They went out from us. So they were obviously once with us. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest or made clear that they were not all of us. So really, a sign of a false teacher is one or one that's walking in the spirit of Antichrist is that they will leave fellowship with believers. You know, John's telling us that deep down, these folks never truly gave their heart to the Lord. They were not saved. They made an outward display, but it was not the real thing. It was not the real deal. And, you know, somebody said, we'll be surprised in heaven who is not there and who is there. <laughs> and that's true. We don't know. We can't be the judge. Only God knows that. But I like what J. Vernon McGee said. I believe in the security of believers, but I also believe in the insecurity of make-believers. <laughs> That's good. And, and, but to clarify, not every person who leaves the church is a false teacher or is an antichrist or who is unsaved. That's not what we're saying. But think about it. It just stands to reason 
that a person who is a p- opposed to Christ, who opposed to clear doctrine of Christ, they can't feel comfortable very long among Christ followers. You just can't. The, and the church just needs to remain biblically sound and healthy, and the leadership has to stay strong against false teachers, and eventually those antichrists won't be able to stand it, and they'll just leave. False teachers love to come to church. <laughs> they love to start in churches and try to get a following. In fact, if you investigate the history of most cults, you'll find that most of the founders started out in a local church. But John wanted to to be clear here in this letter that he wasn't in doubt of their salvation, the people he's writing to. He was writing to them. He's saying they were with us, but they were not really with us. They left. But I'm not worried about you. I'm not doubting your salvation. And I'm I'm talking about the Antichrist. But these folks weren't like them. And that's what we're going to look at. In your notes now, There's signs of an antichrist and signs of Christian. So now we're going to jump to the signs of a Christian portion and fill in number one. A sign of a Christian now, as he's going to say, is that they affirm the faith. Or that they really know and embrace the truth. Here's what he says in verse 20. But ye, uh, you that I'm writing to, you have an unction from the Holy One. And you know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. So John, here he's writing, and he's confident that these people, you know the truth. I know you know it. You know the truth of the gospel, and you're not fooled by these false teachers. Interesting how John carefully uses the word know, K-N-O-W. He uses it a lot in this little book. And you can just imagine that what he's doing is he's combating this idea of Gnosticism, which is all about knowledge, knowledge. They have a special knowledge. They, these folks believe that they had some unique and special uh, knowledge that they had received and revealed to them about what the new truth was. But, ha- but how can John and how can he be so confident that he and these Christians really did have the truth? And not those Gnostics. Well, he said, the reason I know it is because, one of the reasons I know it is because you have an unction from the Holy Spirit, the Holy One. And I love this word, unction. It's fun to say. But the word unction means something that's smeared or an anointing. It's the same word translated as anointing and just in the same passage here in a a couple verses later. Every Christian has been smeared. (laughs) Every Christian has been anointed by the Holy One or by the Holy Spirit. Just like the priests in the Old Testament were anointed with literal oil, every Christian, when he gets truly saved, truly born again, the Holy Spirit comes and anoints that Christian, comes to live inside them. You know, among some Christians today, there's this magical, superstitious approach to this idea of anointing. You know, it's like a... Anointing is like something you can catch, you know, when you come to church, I'm going to catch the anointing. And, and usually when you catch it, then you can tell because you can tell, always some, tell someone got the anointing because they start acting crazy, you know. And, uh, but that's not, the, that's not the idea here. That's not what the Bible's idea of anointing. The anointing here is talking about 
the doctrine of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy One, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of a person. Now, when a person receives the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that there's a lot that has to that happens. The Holy Spirit begins to do things. And here's specifically, I'm just going to list a few things that the Holy Spirit does inside of a person when they get saved. The Holy Spirit teaches. He guides. He commissions. These are all biblical things. He intercedes. He commands. He restrains. He loves. He comforts. And he also gives a new supernatural ability to discern between truth and error. He guides us into truth. Look what John said in in his gospel, chapter 16. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. See, a whole lot more happened when we got saved than we realized. I mean, it's just a miracle what God has done. The Holy Spirit comes, lives inside. He begins to guide you and help you discern. And that's why when you're reading something or you're hearing something and red flags start going up, you know that's the Holy Spirit talking to you about something. Everything is different now when the Holy Spirit comes into a person. And this is why John says back in these verses, you know all things. You know all things. In other words, you know all the things you need to know about this particular truth here that I'm talking about. You have a special anointing, which the Holy Spirit has given to you. You have an unction to discern between truth and error. In verse 20, John used actually a different word for know, K-N-O-W, than he's mostly used in the past. Previously, John, this is very interesting, John had been using the word Uh, for knowledge, you know, uh, gnostis. But here he uses a different Greek word, and it means knowledge by perception. The first is knowledge by experience. This one is knowledge by perception, meaning we perceive some things intuitively by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. God has given us that. That's That's one of the things the Holy Spirit does. Now, I'll be reading something sometimes, or I'll be hearing a preacher, I'll be listening to somebody, And sometimes I'll just have a feeling. I just can't put my finger on it always. But there's just something not quite sitting right inside of me. Have you ever had that? And we need to be very careful in that moment because our feelings aren't the word of God. So we don't just take that and just say, okay, you know, that this is bad. No, that's hold on. Hold on a second. But we do need to also be careful to run with that a little bit and just see, okay, where why am I having a trouble? Why is there a feeling? And search the scriptures, as Paul said the Bereans did. Search the scriptures to see if those things are so. We listen to the Holy Spirit, and he guides us into truth and away from error. And John makes it even clearer here what the error was that the Gnostics were teaching. Here it is. That they are denying the faith. And that's another sign of the Antichrist. They deny the faith altogether. Here's what he says. Who is a liar? Wow, John, that's not very nice calling him a liar, but he did. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist. 
that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. He that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. So the fundamental error that characterized these antichrists was their denial of who Jesus was. They taught that Jesus was not God in the flesh, or excuse me, not God in real flesh. He was just some kind of a phantom spirit. But this is clearly opposed to what all the apostles taught and what all the apostles heard from Jesus himself and what, and what the apostles passed on to us. Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus himself claimed to be God. Jesus is God in the flesh. Remember, Christianity is about a person, not a thing. Christianity is about a person, not a thing. So what someone believes about the person of Christ is extremely important because it is the central, it is a central theme of the faith. It is the central thing to the faith. To be saved, a person, you must believe that Jesus is the Son of God who took on human flesh. He came to earth. He died on the cross as a perfect substitute for sinners. And then he rose again. We have to believe that to be saved. The deity and the humanity of Jesus are non-negotiables. We can have differences on some other things, but we cannot have differences on this. These are non-negotiables. If, if Jesus was not divine, then his death could not have satisfied the demands of God's justice. He would not have been perfect then. And if he was not human, then he could not be a proper substitute for man, for you and I. We have to believe those things or everything falls apart. This is why John says, if you deny the Son, then you're just denying the Father also. In other words, nobody can say, I believe in God, but I'll define Jesus how I want to define Jesus. Nobody can say that. You cannot. This is the key reason we know that religions like Muslims, Hindus, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, we know that these are false religions because of what they believe about Jesus. And they don't believe what God says about Jesus in the word. And so of all we do here at the home church, if we don't get this right, then we're no better than the Antichrist. <laughs> we have to get what we believe about Jesus from Scripture and what it says there. And that is that Jesus is God in human flesh. And Grandpa John here, he knew that Christians needed to stay faithful to this vital doctrine. And so a sign of a Christian then is that they, excuse me, they remain faithful. They remain faithful. And that is a sign of a Christian. Let not that therefore abide in you, or excuse me, let that therefore abide in you, verse 24, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. So there are people tugging on these believers to come to the Gnostic side. And I imagine the pressure to change their beliefs in the church was probably very intense for them. They're in Ephesus as those people were coming in, maybe very influential people. Come on, come on. It's just, you have to understand, you're thinking old. You've got to think new. I just hear those after church one day. Hey, listen, try this new way of looking at Christ. I, I, I want you to see how this all fits together so nicely. And that is the mantra of false teachers so often. New, 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 new. It's new. 
human nature, you know, we often think that new is better. But not when it comes to the Bible. <laughs> I, we all need to remember that when you're listening to a podcaster or a pastor on TV or you read some book. They may have verses, but are they following that which they heard from the beginning? Verse 24 here. That which you heard from the beginning. Remain, abide in that. This actually personally was a big thing for me, this whole thought right here. When I had some people trying to convince me about a new interpretation of a verse, that was, that was a, a big, sh- would have been a sh- big shift in my head. And, but I, I had known this interpretation of this verse for many, many years. And, and this was the established, uh, accepted belief of, Christ, of Christian faith. And it is in scripture. But they, man, they were trying to convince me. And it hit me one day. They're asking me to go against what I've heard from the beginning. And this is ages of good, solid, accepted Bible doctrine. And something doesn't sit right in my spirit. And then I read a, a verse in Proverbs that says, meddle not with them that are given to change. And I, it's just such a common thing for people to want change in their life. I want change. I need something new. I need something new. And this, so they're going to kind of move toward changing doctrine. Red flags, red flags, red flags, and something's not s- sitting right. And now I understand. And, and as many uh, great preachers have said, and I agree with, if it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. Truth has been established ages ago. God established truth, and it's unchanging. So if it's true, it is not new. And I like what one Bible commentary said about this. Most Christians don't really need to be learning new truth. Rather, we need to be learning more deeply and practicing more fully the great truths we have been aware of from the start of following Christ. That is the truth. Now look at what God says. Let that therefore abide in you. This is an important key piece of this. Verse 24 which ye have heard from the beginning. And then he says, you see my little underlines here, let that for abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. Interestingly, abide, remain, and continue are all the same Greek word. It means to take up a permanent address or make a settled home. So using repetition here, John says, put down roots in this truth and live in it. Live in it. Make an address in this thing. In other words, consider the fundamentals of the faith your forever home. And don't move away from that. John progresses a little deeper in calling out these false teachers. And he's moving now from calling them antichrist to the next verse. He's going to call them seducers. And they are now deceiving the faithful. A sign of an antichrist is that they seek to deceive the faithful. And this is uh, quite a charge against them. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. That is what they're trying to do. Seduce. Verse 27. But the anointing or that unction, same word, which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you. 
I don't need to explain all this. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. John is just summarizing what he's already been teaching, and he doubles down on all that he has said already. Antichrists are out to seduce us. Antichrists are out to seduce you. But the point that John keeps driving home is this idea of abiding, abiding. He uses that word abide more in this little book than in any, than any other book of the Bible uses it. This anointing of the Holy Spirit, if this anointing of the Holy Spirit abides in you, which it does if you're a believer, so then now you need to abide in the teaching of that Holy Spirit. You need to live in it. You need to make a permanent reg. That, ho- that spirit that is guiding you into the word of God. The spirit that is illuminating the word of God and helping you understand it. You need to abide and remain and stand strong in that. If not, it's not that God doesn't want us to learn and listen to human teachers. In fact, I know that because the Bible tells us he gave gifts of teaching and preaching to the church. It talks about in the book of Ephesians and other places. But the point is that Believers must not rely, rely on human wisdom. Don't rely on human wisdom or man-centered philosophy, but on God's word and the Holy Spirit guiding you into that word and illuminating that word. Just abide. Make a permanent once and for all address in truth. Here's a great thing to remember from this passage as we close here. The best defense against error, and I think John is putting this out there for everyone. The best defense against error is staying in the Bible and walking in the Spirit. I've just been feeling more and more in my spirit that what is needed right now more than ever in America is for Christians not to waver on the authority of the Word of God. It's just grieving me as I see churches and Christians folding and handing over things to the world and trying to appease the culture in so many different ways. We might pay a price, but we have to stand on the authority of God's word. We keep abiding, abiding, abiding. We just take up permanent uh, address. We say, this is our place. I'm not moving from this house. This is where I live. And so be it, whatever may come, may come. Not mean-spirited, Not rude, just steadily abiding in the word and walking in the spirit. In our marriages, in our parenting, in just our daily life, just we just live Bible-centered life. Let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that it is the foundation that we stand on. It is the truth, and we know it is the truth. So, Lord, help us abide in it and take up residence, Lord, and live in it. And, Lord, no matter what may come against us, help us to walk in truth. We honor you and praise you. We thank you for this amazing word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. You're dismissed. You're just phenomenal.